Hey everybody, welcome to the Evidence for Christianity podcast where you will be joining me, Corey Wadstrom, and Dr. John Oakes as we explore topics on apologetics, Bible history, theology, and more. Thanks for listening and let's get started. Today's episode is part one of a three-part series titled How Science Shows There's a God. On this episode, we discuss how the universe came to be, or some of the theories of how it came to be, and how the little details heavily suggest it was created by a very smart and very powerful God. Where did this come from? Everything that we see all around us, everything that we have ever seen or will ever see, everything we have felt, experienced, where did it come from? Did it begin? Has it always been? Did all this come from nothing or was it created? Questions like this can be hard to tackle at once, so we can start from the beginning with something called the cosmological argument. Well, first of all, um, what we're talking about here is uh, known as the cosmological argument. And the cosmological argument, uh, the premise is something like this. Um, Basically, anything that exists was caused. The universe exists... Therefore, it was caused. Uh, William Lake Craig gave a more subtle or sophisticated version of the cosmological argument. It's called the Kalam cosmological argument. And his argument was this. Anything that begins to exist is caused. The universe began to exist. Therefore, it is caused. That cause is God. The reason uh, William Lane Craig came up with that is because there are things that arguably exist that weren't caused. For example, the number three arguably exists, uh, you know, as a thing in and of itself. Now, that's a philosophical debate. I think the average listener is not going to worry too much about that debate. But the number pi, certain things you could argue would exist uh, whether or not the universe exists. So that's why William Lane Craig came up with a, a probably a little bit more airtight argument, which is that anything which begins to exist was caused. And, and I don't think there are any exceptions to that. And people can try to come up with some. People have tried. I haven't seen one. And we know from scientific evidence, or at least we think we know from scientific evidence, that the universe did begin to exist. So therefore it was caused. And what would be that cause? Well, almost by definition, that cause is God, some sort of God. Arguably, maybe not the God of the Bible. It could be maybe the Hindu God or something like that. All right, so we know that the universe exists, obviously. But did it always exist? Or did it begin to exist? If it began to exist, we can be sure that it was caused. So, which is it? Well, first of all, you should understand that... uh, Well into the 20th century, almost all physicists held to the proposition that the universe had always existed, called the steady state, well, a version of the steady state theory, if you will. And the reason they held to that idea was not because the universe appears to be eternal, 
but because the alternative was hard for atheism. In other words, there's really only two possibilities. The universe has either always existed or it, it hasn't. Yeah. And if it has not always existed, then it was created, and that automatically raises questions about its creation and how that creation happened. So to avoid that, scientists committed to the idea that the universe was eternal, that it always existed. Now, uh, there's a couple of problems with that. First of all, if that's true, then the second law of thermodynamics says the universe should already be very, very, very cold. So you know, they came up with these cyclic universe ideas and things like that and the expansion and contraction and all that. But the bottom line is, in the 1930s, evidence emerged that the universe is expanding very, very rapidly. It's that, that, uh, that red shift. The, mm, and when the train is going away from you, you hear a lower frequency. And the light from very distant objects appears to be at a lower frequency. So very distant objects are receding. Bottom line is that proved the universe was expanding. Okay. Now, atheists wanted to save the eternal universe idea, so they came up with what's now known as the steady state model, which says, believe it or not, they propose, although the universe is always expanding, new matter is always being created at a rate, so the density of the universe remains constant. Did you catch that? The steady state theory, which claims that the universe has always existed, proposes that new matter is always being created out of nothing. So as the universe is expanding, new matter is just appearing out of nothing to ensure that the universe keeps the same density. Kind of wild. And it was, it's one of the most obvious examples in the history of science of what we could call an ad hoc theory. In other words, a theory created not because of evidence, but because of an idea that is causing you to create that theory. But anyway, uh, in the 1960s, accidentally, uh, uh, microwave background radiation was discovered. Uh, it, it, there's a great story there. But uh, So, as early as the 30s, models to describe this creation event that's called the Big Bang model started to make predictions about what the universe should look like. And one prediction of that model is there should exist a very low-frequency uh, radiation that pervades the entire universe. In fact, it even predicted roughly what the wavelength would be. That's from the Big Bang model. And so these uh, uh, microwave antenna research people in New Jersey just accidentally picked up the signal. And it turned out uh, they got the Nobel Prize, even though it was a total accident, because they discovered this background radiation that fills the universe. At this point, the steady state model is completely untenable. It, it can't work. So by the end of the 60s, only some really old people who were just so stubborn they would not change their mind, probably, most likely, every single one of them were highly committed to an atheist worldview. Those are the only ones left that believed in this model. So now, <clears throat> science as a whole, with essentially no dissenting views, agrees the universe is created. Uh, the numbers show roughly 13 and a half billion years ago. The universe was created before this event, which was not an explosion, by the way. An explosion would be stuff exploding. There was nothing. So uh, roughly 13.5 billion years ago, uh, there was nothing. And then it's, at one instant, in a brilliant flash of light, reminiscent of Genesis 1-1, uh, all the matter, energy, 
uh, in the universe were created. Not only that, but even time itself was created and even space itself was created. So according to the theory, before this event, there was literally not even space or time, never mind matter. This actually caught me off guard a little. I always thought, I guess from popular culture or whatever, that the universe began from an explosion, the big bang, right? But it actually came from a brilliant flash of light. Light. And like John said, one can only think of Genesis, where God said, let there be light when he created the universe. And so physicists are unanimous in this. The universe was created out of nothing at an instant, which is what the Bible said all along. The, the, the moment of creation was, a, was light. Really? Right, which is interesting since Genesis 1-1 has God saying, let there be light. And, and then what happened is the, the photons collide to make matter. It's a very complicated, and I could explain some if you like. Yeah. At some point, uh, I'll be over, you know, beyond my, uh, my expertise. But so as this matter expanded, it cools. Any gas that expands cools. So as it cooled, eventually things like electrons started to form and quarks. And then as it cooled even more, quarks condensed to form protons and neutrons. And as it cooled even more, eventually even electrons began to attach to nuclei and you had atoms. Uh, Theorized roughly 100,000 years after the universe was formed, that happened. At that point, the universe became transparent to light. And at that point, the, micro, the radiation began to pervade the universe. That as the universe cools, that, that the wavelength of this radiation gets longer and longer and longer in proportion to how the universe is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Hmm. That's the Big Bang model. The fact that that agrees uh, in detail with what the Bible said all along is, that's to say the least, interesting. Okay, so to sum it up, which theory of how the universe came about is most reliable? Is the steady state theory a reliable theory we can trust? It's not unreliable. It's, it's wrong. Okay, okay because uh, the, base, the way science works is uh, scientists produce theories that are consistent with data or evidence. So data comes out, which is the universe is expanding. Scientists for a while had two competing theories, both of which were consistent with that evidence, which was the Big Bang model and the steady state model. Mm -hmm. Then, when the cosmic microwave background radiation was discovered in like 63, 64, then one of those two models was, was simply not consistent with the data at all. So good science says that theory is wrong. Now, the fact that the Big Bang model is consistent with all the evidence doesn't prove it's true, all it's, it does all you can ever do in science, which is say this theory is in agreement with the data. So therefore, you, like I say to my Science 110, uh, my intro to scientific thought class, uh, I say, uh, does this mean the Big Bang happened? They've been trained by now. They say, no, it doesn't mean it happened. What does it mean? It means it's consistent with the data, so it's a good theory. Right, right now, there's only one theory of origin of the universe. Now, that's debatable. Let me qualify that a minute, but I would say, uh, as far as the universe we're part of, okay, the only theory that is even mentioned in scientific circles 
in, in any significant way is that this creation out of nothing is the source of the universe that we experience. There used to be this expanding, contracting, expanding, contracting, expanding, contracting, you know, thing, but, but that just doesn't fit the data. Gotcha. But the, here's the point. The point is not, because uh, I'm not sure that the listeners care that much about uh, the Big Bang model per se. The point is this, the universe was created. And the cosmological argument, which seems inescapable, it seems to me anyway, says that means there's a creator of some sort. Whether that's a personal God or some sort of unknown force or entity is not determined by the scientific evidence. It does seem to rule out the Hindu God, or the, the idea of the Hindu God, because Hinduism very strongly is committed to the idea that the universe is eternal. And that you know, there's these cycles of creation and destruction. And Vishnu destroys and, and Shiva, no, Shiva destroys and Vishnu creates and Krishna, uh, I'm sorry, and um, Brahman sustains. This, this model of the, of the eternal universe model, which is required of pantheism, just it's not true. <laughs> it's just not true. And therefore, the cosmology of Hinduism is flat out not true. So far, we've discussed theories on how the universe came to be, and I've seen that the evidence shows that it was created. But here is where it gets really interesting. Not only does the universe's beginning suggest a creator is behind everything, but the details in its makeup do as well. But this relates to another aspect of the, of the whole Big Bang thing, and that's the idea of the, the finely tuned universe. Uh, because it turns out there are a number of constants that, that, that define sort of the workings of the universe, which are tuned to uh, just an absolutely ridiculous level of precision, so that arguing luck or accident or coincidence is, seems irrational. Uh, for example, <clears throat> uh, the force of gravity, that's one of the four fundamental forces of the universe. The force of gravity obviously is essential to the existence of galaxies and stars because as this matter expands, what causes it to contract and form, you know, separate objects that exist, like a star and, or a galaxy or a planet? And the answer, of course, is the force of gravity is what causes that. Well, as those who began to kind of work out the details of the Big Bang model found out to their shock, if the force of gravity that exists was smaller by one part in 10th to the 60th, in other words, 59 zeros and then a one, if it had been smaller by that ridiculously small proportion, uh, matter would have never clumped and galaxies would have never formed. On the other hand, if that force had been bigger than it is by a similarly mind-bogglingly, ununderstandably small 59 zeros and a one, then the universe would have collapsed almost as soon as it was created. So the force of gravity has a value precise to one part in 10 to the 60th. Uh, th that's equivalent to, uh, say, winning the, the super lotto six times in a row. A, a good question is, why does gravity even exist? The atheist has literally no conceivable explanation to even why it exists. Never mind why it's so precise. Yeah. But anyway, it turns out there are dozens, li literally there are dozens of parameters 
that define how the universe works, such as the size of the nuclear strong force, the size of the nuclear weak of force, the amount of positive charged particles balanced with the number of negatively charged particles. That's a really cool one, because it turns out according to the Big Bang model, which of course is not proved, but yeah. according to the Big Bang model, electrons were created through a different process and a different time than protons were. So there's no obvious reason why electrons and protons would have an equal amount, but they have an equal amount to something like one part in 10 to the 30th. And if they didn't, then the electrical force would dominate the universe instead of gravity, in which case none of this would work. So, he so here's the problem then. How do you explain the seemingly, you know, ununderstandable level of coincidence, if you will, mm -hmm. that our universe happens to have these properties that are just right for life to exist. And the response of the atheist is to say, well, there's an infinite number of universes and we just live in the right one. We just got lucky. Hmm. Well, almost by definition, that is not a scientific theory. Yeah. Because all scientific theories must be both testable by experiment and refutable by experiment. And that hypothesis is neither testable by any conceivable experiment, nor is it disprovable by any conceivable experiment. I'd say it was created not because of evidence, but because people were trying to save the presupposition of atheism. The four forces are the, the um, electromagnetic force, like the attractive force between protons and electrons. That's the force that, that holds the electrons on the atoms. That one is finely tuned to a very, very small percentage. Uh, another force is the nuclear strong force, and that's what attracts the protons to the neutrons. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you'd have no nucleus because the protons naturally repel each other. Mm -hmm. So what holds the, the nucleus together? The answer is the neutrons and this nuclear strong force, which most people don't even learn about in any college course because it's kind of, you know, we get to advanced particle physics. But anyway, it turns out that force is tuned not to some crazy one part in 10 to the 60th. It's tuned to plus or minus about 5%. So in other words, if that force was 5% larger, there'd be no hydrogen, in which case we wouldn't have stars, you know. Yeah. If it was 5% weaker, we'd have only hydrogen, in which case, well, obviously we wouldn't have life. So that's another parameter that's tuned. Uh, another parameter is called the nuclear weak force, and that's the force that holds the, the neutron together, essentially. Mm. It, it holds the electron and the proton together to form a, a neutron, and that one is also fine-tuned, not, again, not to one part in a billion or a trillion or a quadrillion. It's tuned to, to like a plus or minus a few percent. If it went in either direction, you'd have either too many neutrons or too many protons. And uh, the universe that supports life just simply wouldn't exist. Okay, so we have all these things in our universe that are extremely fine-tuned and essential for life to exist. So, what are the chances of all those fine-tunings existing together? For example, let's just take two of those numbers, which is the, the, the probability of having gravity, the force of gravity have the right size, yeah. and the probability of having uh, the, the amount of protons and electrons be balanced. Those two together have been calculated to be one part in 10 to the 100th. That, to give you a feeling of how insanely improbable that is, uh, it turns out... That it, it's been estimated that our entire universe with hundreds of billions of galaxies, each of which have hundreds of billions of stars, 
If you took all the particles in the universe, all protons, neutrons, electrons, every particle in the universe, that's around 1 times 10 to the 80th particles. So in other words, you need 10 to the 20th universes to have enough particles, and then take all those particles in the 10 to the 20th universes, the probability of picking out one particle in all those things by accident is roughly how likely you would have a universe with the right number, the right uh, amount of protons and neutrons and the right gravity force. And you know, in mathematics, you know, what's the definition of zero? They, they, they debate the definition of zero. Some people would say if, if it's less than one times one over one times 10 to the 50th, you could say by definition it's zero. So if you were playing uh, uh, the, the probability game for the atheist to be right, that uh, you know, we just happen to live in the right universe, uh, that, I wouldn't want to play those odds. I really wouldn't. I'd, I'd say that's not very likely. The way I like to say it is, it takes uh, uh, incredible faith to believe in atheism. I, I just don't know how s atheists who are scientists... I just don't know how to maintain this belief in view of the evidence. And so you, you, you have to imagine what's the reasonable explanation of the facts that we can observe. And you know, I would say you, you can't prove the existence of God in the sense of mathematical proof. All I can say is the most reasonable conclusion from the evidence is that God exists. And I would say given uh, the, the unlikelihood of having a universe that has the right parameters, the, on, the only reasonable conclusion is, number one, there is a creator. Number two, that creator is very, very smart. And by the way, we're just beginning to talk about the different reasons that there's design. And number three, that creator is uh, very powerful because, you know, creating a universe, presumably that's not just, uh, you don't snap your, well, maybe you do just snap your finger and you have a universe. So there it is, part one of our three-part series discussing how science shows there's a God. If you are a believer in God, we hope this strengthened your faith. And if you're not sure if God exists, we hope this episode left you with some questions to look into. Thanks for joining us for our very first episode, and see you next time.